You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. Good afternoon, everybody. To those of you who are here with us in person, the four of you, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure really not to speak to an empty room, so I'm very grateful to have you. And for the rest of the church who's joining us online, I'm very grateful to be with you as well and open God's word. And today we are looking at um, Mark sixteen fourteen through 15, the title is You Are the Program. And I don't know about you, but I was extremely blessed by Pastor Ben's uh, mini-series on evangelism. And so today, I, just, I think he did an excellent job with the text and just showing us um, right from Jesus' example how we should interact in situations with other people and share the good news. And so um, I want to share some thoughts today that really connect to his teaching. These are things that actually God has been teaching me a lot about, um, things that God has convicted me a lot about. And um, some of the stuff is stuff that he already mentioned but didn't have time to land on. And so some of these are a challenge. Uh, but I hope you hear this today is not Mark knows it all and you got to get in line. But rather, these are the things that God has been teaching me in my prayers that you would come along with me because I've been really blessed um, by God. Um, teaching me and disciplining me and showing me, convicting me in these areas. So that's what I want to do today. And I think it ties a really nice bow on that little uh, mini-series in evangelism because this is sort of the push for us to go. And then Pastor Ben gave us all the right tools that we can use as we go and do those things and share. So let's pray and then we'll get into things. God, I pray that you would be with me today. God, I pray that you would be with all of us. God, our desire as Christians is to not just be hearers of the word, God, but doers. God, I pray that you would transform us. I pray that you would change us. God, we have a desire to be made more like you, God. We want to follow you with our whole hearts. We don't want to be lukewarm. God, we don't want to be apathetic. We want to be all in for Christ. This is Christ um, was all in for us. And so I just pray and that you be with us today and you would help us, God, as we study your word, um, that you would um, just be so present, God, and that you would um, help us to remember the things, God, that are of you. And if there's anything that's not of you, that it would just be removed. Lord, because we only want you in your name. Amen. So we are going to read Mark 16. 14 through 15, so you can grab a Bible and do that with me. I'm going to give you a bit of context for what's going on in this passage. Mark 16 is at the end of the book of Mark, and where we're reading here, Jesus has come back to life, right? We've, we've seen the resurrection, and then this goes on, what we've got here in 14 and 15. It says, later he, that's talking about Jesus, appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And so it's very interesting here um, what we see where Jesus comes back, he crashes their party and he rebukes them 
and because of their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. There's a lot that's gone on before this. So if, if you got your Bible, you can flip with me. But we're going to just take a five-minute sort of synopsis of the book of Mark and look at some of the key things that have happened that brought us to this point. Because I want you to understand why he rebuked them and then why he commanded them to go. And then from that, we're going to use that as a springboard to talk about what it looks like for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel just as they were commanded to do. So let's look. We can start in verse 4, um, sorry, in chapter 4 of Mark. One of the things that we see in chapter 4 of Mark is that the sea is stilled. You may remember this. Right? The disciples are on the boat. The waves are crashing. The boat is rocking up and down. It's getting so bad that they think they're going to die. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just speaks two words and bam. The sea goes flat like glass. Like when you walk out at your cottage in the morning with a coffee and your Bible. Early in the morning, it's flat. And to be in that moment would have been amazing and terrifying at the same time. Right? If you put yourself in their shoes, you're in this like natural occurrence where you think it's going to kill you. And then Jesus gets up and he speaks like just a couple of words and boom, everything instantly falls flat. That would have been terrifying. But it's Jesus crying out to his disciples saying, look, I'm God. I am so much bigger. I am so much greater than anything. I have power over all of creation. In Mark 6, uh, the Disciples, they were commissioned to share the gospel with Israel, and they were given the authority even to cast out evil spirits. And so here we see this commission that they were given not to go to the ends of the earth, but to go to Israel and to preach the good news that the kingdom of heaven is here, that, I, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And they were given this authority to cast out evil spirits. So what a fantastic and amazing experience that would have been. In Mark 8... Um, he tells them that he's going to die. And that three days later, he's going to come back to life. And verse 32 is really interesting um, because it says, and he was stating the matter plainly. Maybe just in case you got the impression that Jesus was talking in some sort of parable and the disciples got confused again. He says, no, he was stating this matter plainly to them. And then Mark 9, right? We have the transfiguration where Jesus is transfigured before them, blazing like the sun, right? And again, just showing them, like, I am God. This is not a human experience that you're having. You are walking with the Son of God. And then later on in Mark 9, again, Jesus foretells his death again, and that three days later, he will rise again. And then in Mark 10, again, he talks about his coming crucifixion. He also speaks in Mark chapter 13 when he's speaking about some of the stuff that must go on um, in the last days. And one of the things he says in Mark 13.10 is that the gospel must be preached to all nations. And so you can see all these things going on. And so you can see why Jesus rebuked them, right? Because all throughout Jesus' ministry, as they walked with him, they saw him demonstrate that he was the son of God. And then he told them over and over and over again, this is the plan. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to come back to life. But he showed them the power that he had over everything. And so they shouldn't have been surprised when it happened. 
And they shouldn't have been surprised by the resurrection. And yet they were. And so he was, he rebuked them. And then what does he tell them to do? This is one of the things I love about Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't give up on them. Despite all of that. Right? He then commissions them still. Again. This time not just to Israel. But to the whole world. To go and to preach the gospel. To all creation. Right? Because right, what they were doing in that moment. When they were up. Um, hanging out in their little party together, reclining at the tables. They weren't following Jesus' pattern, right? Of being out in the world and seeking people out and sharing truth and serving others, trusting in the God of the universe. Instead, they were trapped in a, in a room, right? They locked themselves in amongst themselves, scared, lost without their leader, living in unbelief, and it rendered them ineffective, Right? That's very contrary to the pattern that Jesus set, right? We, we can see that. We, and we know it from Scripture, right? Especially as you read the New Testament, you hear these sort of commands all the time, right? You're, these are going to ring a bell for you. We, we're commanded to go. We're commanded to be light. We're commanded to live for Christ. We're commanded to love others. We're commanded to preach the gospel. Those are action words, right? Those are initiating words. They're not passive words. And this is the call of the church. This is God's call to his church. And you'll be hard-pressed to find a lot of examples in the New Testament where someone brings another person to the church in order to hear the gospel. Now, I'm sure if you look hard enough, maybe you can find an example. I didn't have enough time this week to read the whole New Testament. Uh, and you can email it to me if you want. But in general, it's not the pattern that we see in the New Testament, Right? What's the pattern that we see in the New Testament? I, we, we see that happening with discipleship, right? Where people are coming to be discipled. They, they, they hear about Jesus, they accept the gospel, and they come to be discipled, to be plugged into the church. But not to hear the gospel. In most cases, that's already happened, right? Paul went into the cities. He went into the synagogues, right? And don't kid yourselves, the synagogues weren't church, Right? The synagogues were people that were religious, and yet they desperately needed the gospel. They desperately needed the good news. They desperately needed Jesus. What I do see in the New Testament, and you can um, figure this out for yourself if you agree, right? Is that more often than not, what I see is I see the church leaders on the run. I see the church leaders on trial. I see the church leaders writing um, letters from prison writing as encouragement to the saints, and yet the church is exploding, right? People aren't coming to Peter and Paul and saying, hey, you're tight with Jesus. You're better at explaining the gospel, right, than I am. You, you got better words. Can you, can you tell them the gospel? Like, I've worked really hard, and I've, like, really put myself out there to, like, get them this far, and I've convinced them to show up, and I, even, I promised we'd take care of their kids, and if you could show them that um, fishing trick you learned, you showed me in Galilee, that would be great. That's actually the main reason they're here. Um, but I have just got this like feeling that I think they'd be ready to hear the gospel. And so if you would just share it with them really clearly, that'd be great. Right? That's ridiculous. That's not what we find in the New Testament as we read those words. Right? What we see in the early church is despite intense persecution... And their leaders on the run, the church is exploding because the gospel is transforming lives of people that it comes in contact with. And then those people are simply sharing that 
truth, that transformation with their neighbors. And I think it's really healthy and right just for us to be really honest with ourselves and realize that we often operate in trying to bring others to the program instead of being the program. Right? Follow me with this. So often we want to bring others to the church instead of fulfilling God's call for us to be the church. Right? This is one of the things that God's been convicting me of, and I don't think it's some sort of evil or malicious plan by any of us. Like, I don't think we're intentionally operating. We don't, we're not purposely trying to live contrary to God's plan for the church. But I think this is a case where we've just kind of got lulled to sleep and we've drifted, right, for a, variety of, for a variety of reasons. And kind of this is where we've ended up. And we've ended, we've ended up defaulting to wanting to bring people to the program instead of being the program. Wanting to bring people to the church instead of being the church. So let me show you what I mean as some examples. This is some examples of what it looks like to default to um, want to bring, uh, bring people to the church to bring people to the program, right? One of the things that can happen is we can see a need in our community, right? And sometimes we can default and think to ourselves, man, I see that need and I, I wish we had a program at the church. Or sometimes we can see a need in ourselves, right? A really good godly need. Let's say wanting to be a godly parent. Like I have a desire to be a godly parent. And then we think to ourselves, man, like if only the church had a program to help me know how to be a godly parent. Or we know someone needs Jesus, and I hope you all know somebody that needs Jesus. Or we have to have a different chat. And so we work up the courage to tell them about how cool Pastor Ben is. And that he's really jacked and he could probably beat me up in 10 seconds, like 30 different ways. Um, but he's also super nice and... I really like him because he'll tell you the truth and he's genuine and he won't tell you what you want to hear. He'll tell you what you need to hear and that's important when you desire to grow. And so you really should just come to church. I think you'll really like this guy. And then you start thinking and praying, oh man, Lord, I, I hope that you give Ben the words to say to tell this person, my friend, about Jesus because I really want them to know about Jesus. Right? That's what it looks like to default to I need a program Right? I want to bring people to the church instead of to be the church. Right? And sometimes we get that whole church thing mixed up. So when, you're, when you're wanting to bring people to the church, so often you're literally thinking of the church as this building instead of thinking of the church as the body. Right? That's where it can be messed up. Here's the, here's the reverse of that. Right? Here's what it looks like to be the program, to be the church as God calls us to. So when you see that need in that neighborhood, what do you do? You don't you don't call somebody else, you fill it. Because God gave you the eyes to see that need. And so you fill it to the best of your ability. And if the need is too big, then you rope the other people in your small group or the people around you that you know in the church and you bring them with you to, on this mission to fill the need that God showed you right there. You don't need to call Carla, you don't need to call Jeanette, you don't need to call Ben. Or if you see that need in yourself, what you do instead of wishing that there was a program is that you go to God's word and you seek answers. You pray, right? You pray desperately that God would show you. You seek his word diligently. 
Go seek out a wise Christian who's doing this well and listen to their advice. I've been reading in Proverbs, and one of the things that just hits me over and over again in Proverbs is this idea that a wise person listens to godly advice. Sometimes we can even be smart enough to invite the advice, but after we get smart enough to do that, we're not actually smart enough to listen to the godly advice. So if you're going to invite somebody to speak into your life, be wise enough to listen to the advice. We have to discern the advice, right? Nobody's perfect. But listen to godly advice. And here's the last one. If you see a need for the gospel, share the gospel with the person yourself. Right? God placed you there for a reason. You don't need to have a degree to share the gospel. I'm reading a book right now called Deep Discipleship by J.T. English. And in one of the passages, in one of the chapters, he talks about how he was saved. He didn't grow up in a Christian home, and he goes off to university, and um, one of his friends invites him to a Bible study. But God doesn't actually save him at this Bible study. But through that Bible study, he became friends um, with someone, and one day this guy walks up to him, and he's like sweating, and he's super nervous, and he's got this paper like half in front of his face, and he's like, hey, JT, I, I, need to, I need to read this to you. And then he just goes, and he just reads it. There's no cordial introduction. There's no normal sort of friend interaction, right? All the social cues are out the window, and he's, he's just so nervous, and he just reads. And it's, I think it was a four-step process or something like that, and he shares the gospel with him just by reading. reading. And he said, I want to read this to you. And you know what? That's how God saved JT. That's how God saved JT. It wasn't because that university student had everything right. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't have all the words. He mumbled through the whole thing. He sweated through the whole thing. He looked at his page through the whole thing. Right? That's not what we would call Evangelism 101. By human metrics. But the good news is, God doesn't care about human metrics. Right? He cares about heavenly metrics. And the heavenly metric that God cares about is obedience and faithfulness. And through the obedience and the faithfulness of this university, I think he was a freshman or a sophomore, who was absolutely scared to death, God used him to save JT. God used that faithfulness and the power of the Holy Spirit to save JT. And now, JT's gone on and been able to have this tremendous impact through the, for the Lord through this book. He's got an incredible podcast. He's worked at two monster churches and had the chance to impact thousands and thousands and thousands of people because of the faithfulness of that university freshman who was scared out of his mind. It's a beautiful picture of how God saves, of how we are to be faithful, but God does the work. And so after we share the gospel with someone, then bring them to church, right? Get them plugged in to the body. You got you, you're discipling them, but you know that they need to be a part of the body, and so you bring them to church. And just a disclaimer on that, I'm not saying never bring non-Christians to church, right? If you've got non-Christians who are willing to come to church and to hear God's word and to be around Christians, bring them. That's a good thing. All I'm saying is don't make that your primary method of evangelism. That can't be your primary method of evangelism because it's not God's primary method of evangelism. Chances are, I think I talked about this in a devotional a long time ago, right? We can all admit that church is weird, right? The stuff that we do here is wonderful and beautiful for those of us who know Jesus, 
right? But for people who are not saved, church is weird. This is a cultural experience unlike anything else that they're really going to experience in their world. And so if you've got a friend or a family member who's willing to step into that, I bet you they'd be willing to sit down with someone that they've got a personal relationship with and they know that that person cares about them to listen to you share the gospel with them. That's what we're saying. So I'm not saying don't bring them to church. I'm just saying that that can't be your primary strategy. It's got to be a secondary one. It's got to be a secondary one. See, when I read the Bible, it lines up with that experience with JT. When I read the Bible, the, the people that I see that are saved in the Bible, they're not saved by competence. Right? They're saved by faithful obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit. Like You could almost sum up the book of Acts that way. Right? Because it's these guys, the guys we talked about in Mark 16, the guys who watched Jesus and had him say over and over again, this is me, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, look at all these things, and yet at the end of the thing, when the rubber meets the road, they're sitting up in the room scared, wallowing in unbelief and hardness of heart. And yet God used them to light the match, right? to start the fire, the church spread across the world. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to go through a few slides now that just relate to this idea. And I just want to help us give some clarity and flush some of these things out. And the first one is this. This is not the death of programs and the start of individualism. It's the right balance of them. That's what I'm arguing for. I'm not arguing... Just, we're not just going to abolish all of our programs, and we're not just trying to follow Jesus all on our own. Both of those things miss the point. But it's to have the right balance. Because you might be thinking, Mark, like, aren't you the program guy? Like, I love our programs. Right? I love that we give food to people who need it. I love that we do trunk or treat. It's a fantastic ministry. It's super cool. And I know that it's given people because I've heard it, tons of opportunities to share the gospel. That's part of the point, right? And I love the outreach program that we're starting on Saturdays. Praise God for the people that are going to walk down that street and hear the good news because of the faithfulness of the brothers and sisters here at Calvary. See, because there's something very special about ministering together in this way. And we can do some really cool things, right? When we pool our resources and time and talents um, to do these big events, and to run these programs. So we're going to continue to do these things and hopefully even more things, but not at the expense of what God has called you to do. And so I just want to, that's the first part. And then the second part, t- talking about individualism, I want to explain this idea of individual obedience collectively. Individual obedience collectively, because I want you to hear me right on this. See, the general pattern that we see with God right, is using ordinary men, women, kids, where they've been placed, right? With the power of the Holy Spirit to open people's eyes, open people's hearts, and save people. But these people are being supported and prayed for by the saints, by the church, right? That's how this works. And that's one of the goals of our small groups and our small group ministry is there, you have these people that know what's going on in your life because the reality is you can't go deep with everybody. You can only intimately know so many people. 
right? And so we've got these groups where you, you get to know people on a different level and you know what's going on in their life. So you know when they're out and they're talking to this person, right, that God's given them an opportunity to do. And you're praying for them and your church, um, your small group is praying for them. But it's not that this person is the person that always goes out and talks and these people are the people that always pray. Then it switches and now this person's going out and using and taking advantage of this opportunity that God's given and you're praying for them. That's what it looks like to support each other. And then this person comes back and they say, hey, this person asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to. And then you get to support each other as you pray and dig into God's word together and say, hey, how do we answer that? And one person's like, well, I tried it this way one time and it was a really bad idea. So let's learn from that. And another person's like, well, actually, I've, I've used this before. Have you, have you thought about approaching it like this? And here's some verses that God really encouraged me with. That's what it looks like to pray for each other and support each other and do this individually in faithfulness and yet collectively together. Right? And so it's not individualism. It's not just trying to live on our own and just discard the church. Right? We know that we were never meant to live as Christians alone. We know that Christ has called the church the body for a reason. Right? So we're not examining whether to live as the body or live separate of the body. What we're looking at is how to operate within the body. Right? And so there's those two different ideas. We go back to what we talked about before. Right? Seeing a need and asking the church to fill it, asking that somebody else will do it, rather than seeing the need and we fill it, supported by brothers and sisters around us. Right? We don't individually obey on an island. Right? We're not all on our own individual islands trying to follow Jesus and then be obedient. We are on an island together. Right? We're on this path together trying to individually obey collectively. Right? We individually obey together. This is how the church was designed to operate. This is how God calls us to be the church. And so if Gravenhurst doesn't hear the gospel, if Muskoka doesn't hear the gospel, it's not going to be because we didn't give out enough gospel info at Trunk or Treat. And it's not, it's not going to be because enough people didn't stop by the road at our, um, our Saturday evangelism program. It's because me and you together will have failed collectively to be obedient to Christ. Right? That's the metric that God measures success by. He doesn't measure success by numbers. He measures success by obedience. This is something that God's been impressing on my heart and convicting me of. The next category that I want us to look at that goes into this is this idea of come and see versus go and find. They're two different ideas. They're two different types of churches. And we want to be a church that goes and finds. It doesn't come and see. See, what we want to do, come and see church versus go and find church looks like this. It's not I bring you into the church so that you can hear about Jesus. It's I go and tell you about Jesus. God saves you and then I bring you into the church. See, because one of the hallmarks of a come and see church is this idea that we have to entertain people and keep people happy so that they'll stay in the hopes that they'll come on the right Sunday when the pastor gives the gospel message and then they'll be saved. And we end up just lowering and lowering and lowering the bar and we're just begging these people to come back and hoping to entertain them enough that something else in our world won't pull them away. But a go and find church is fueled by the preaching of God's word 
by the encouragement of the fellowship of the saints, by prayer for each other, and we go out. And then when these people come back into church, they've experienced God already, right? Because they've experienced, the, the person that you're bringing to church has experienced God in you. They've heard the gospel through you. They've already seen these things. And so we don't need to convince you that church is good. We don't need to convince you to come back to church. And even if everything doesn't go the way you want, even if the carpet color is different or the music isn't what you'd like or the children's ministry isn't perfect, you're a part of the body. And that's the difference between come and see and go and find. And I had a lot of examples I was going to give with this, um, but for sake of time, I'm just going to give you two. The first one is in Acts chapter 8. Right? You remember Philip? Philip, the, um, and he, he gets told, he gets told to go and find a road. It says, go and find this road. And when he goes and finds the road, along comes the Ethiopian eunuch on the road. And then he's found this Ethiopian eunuch who asks him to explain what's going on, what he's reading. And he gets to share the gospel with him. The other example I'll give you is from Acts chapter 5, verse 20. Um, the apostles get thrown into prison and, um, I love this story because immediately that night the angel comes and breaks them out of prison. And then they get told this. They get told to go and find. They get told to go to the temple. Remember, don't hear church. Hear religious people who are lost. Go to the temple and speak the whole message of life. That's why they were broken out. They, the angel didn't bring the, all those people to prison. He broke them out so that they could go and find, so that they could go and share the gospel. The next one I want us to consider is um, connected to the source. Are you connected to the right source? Right? Who's our source? We know the answer, right? The answer is God. We're reminded of this, Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who's always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple in the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. He's our strength. We have to remember that. It's, it's so simple. We, we know the answer, and yet I can find myself so often not doing it. Right? We've got to be connected to him. We can't rely on others to be connected to him. You can't rely on Pastor Ben to be connected to him, and then you're connected. It's not a good connection. Right? The best connection's at the source. You can't rely on your children to be connected to him. You can't rely on your parents to be connected to him. You can't rely on your spouse being connected to him. You have to be connected to him. And part of being connected to him is we need to understand God's role in evangelism and in telling the gospel. In John 6, it says this. This should be a massive relief to you. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's God saying, I will do the work. What I want you to be is faithful and obedient in going. That's what he's saying. I showed an interview at youth with, um, they call them Pastor X. Um, he was from the, the um, Sheep Among Wolves movement. And um, he, w- he was asked this question. He was asked this question about um, 
the church in the West because he had, he had experience in the church in the West in America. And then he also had experience in the church in the Middle East, right? Where he's an underground pastor and the church is just exploding over there. And he was asked this question about why the church is so weak in the West. And this is the answer that he gave. He said, too often the church in the West is connected to the pastor instead of connected to the source. And that convicted me, and that hit me right in the heart, that too often we can be connected to the pastor instead of connected to the source. And he went on to describe how when they do discipleship, when they want to show people how to follow Jesus, the plan is very simple. They, they need to learn to be sustainable themselves quickly. Right? Because the goal is that if the pastor gets killed or put in jail, that the church keeps going. Because the reality is that over there, it's very likely that the pastor is going to get killed or put in jail. And yet the church keeps growing. Right? And that's my heart for us at Calvary. Right? That if we had no pastors, no staff, no elders, no deacons, that the church would continue to flourish. Right? Because of the saints here and your desire for Christ. We had actually a little taste of this in COVID. Right? Because it stripped a lot of our programs. We had to shut a lot of them down. And we lost a lot of our connection. Right? Or it inhibited our connection. Right? We had, we had to have connection over Zoom instead of in person or porch visits instead of coming into homes and that sort of thing. Right? We didn't have the same connection. And we noticed this. Right? Not just in our church. In a lot of churches in Ontario. People's faith to this. So praise God, there's a, I've watched a lot of people do this and then do this. That's very cool. But we see some people's faith go like this and like that. When all of these things around were removed. And when your faith did this, it shows where you were connected to. Right? You were connected to the programs. You were connected to other people who were connected to God. You weren't connected to God himself. And I was convicted of this um, when the Lord showed me this because he showed me that in some ways I feel that I've enabled some of this. I've both participated in it and now as a pastor I feel like I've enabled some of it. Right? And I just want to apologize for that because that's not my heart. Right? My heart is that each one of you would rely on Christ in Christ alone. And if there's any part that I've played in helping you to rely on the system or the program of church and setting on Christ himself, I'm sorry. And my heart and my desire is to do better at that. And sometimes that's learning to say no to really good things. But I want, I want all of us right, to rely on Christ and Christ alone. I'll leave you with this. This is a good litmus test for you. I read this in an article somewhere, I think. This was the challenge. It said, if you got stuck on an island, like not an island where you're like trying to rub coconuts together to start a fire or something like that, but like a regular, you've got everything you've got here, but you're on this island and you're the only Christian. You're the only person that knows Jesus. You got the Holy Spirit inside you and you got a Bible. Could you start a church? 
do you have the faith to go and share and know that God is the one who will draw people to himself? Do you have the desire to go and meet with other people and be a part of the body rather than just go it on your own? Are you working on things, right? Practicing sharing your faith with others, right? It gets easier. Would God be able to start a church through you on that island? It's a, it's a hard question, but one I would encourage you to consider. And the next category is be a godly neighbor. Our small group did a series, and it was called The Art of Neighboring. And spoiler alert, I think I'm going to um, strongly encourage a lot of our small group leaders to consider this series because it was phenomenal. And... Um, the pastor that was doing the series, he started out the series and he was telling a story of him and a bunch of pastors and they were getting together with their mayor, a non-Christian mayor in the city, city council, I don't know what they were doing. Um, but the, the goal of it was to, to see how the church um, could positively impact the community. And so lots of different things came up, things that were predictable, things like poverty, things like um, youth crime, things like how they could be involved in the schools and many good things. But he said in the middle of this meeting, the mayor just stopped and he looked at them all and he said, you know what would actually probably work best? He said, if you guys could start some sort of neighboring initiative that got people in their neighborhoods right where they are to care for each other and to care for other people, the people living around them, more than themselves, and to take care of each other selflessly, that would transform our city. And the pastor said he was sort of taken aback because he recognized that what had just happened was a non-Christian mayor had just called out a group of pastors and exhorted them to actually live as Christians, to actually take the words of Jesus seriously. Right? And of course, when he was in that, he said he was thinking about Luke ten twenty seven. Right? We all know this verse well. He said, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And we know from the Gospels, as Jesus talks about what it looks like to be a neighbor, that he kind of stretches the definition of neighbor out from the literal, like the people right around you. And he stretches it basically to anybody. Right? And so this pastor was talking about how um, the Good Samaritan, like taking care of an enemy who's wounded, he said that's like graduate level neighboring. Okay? He said, we're not starting at graduate level neighboring. We're going to go back to kindergarten. And what we want you to do is just to start to care for your actual neighbors. And so he gave this challenge. And if you got a piece of paper, you can do it now or think about this and do it later at home. And he said, put a little square in the middle. That's your house and then put eight squares around it. like think bingo board, that kind of a thing. And in each of those eight squares around your house, the eight closest people to you, eight closest families, write the names of your neighbors and their families. He said, write their actual names. Not dog lady, not messy yard man, not weird dude, not kid who drives too fast. Their actual names. And he said, we can be honest that when they've done this with a lot of groups, 
most people couldn't even get half of the eight closest people. And so he said, contrary to leadership, things where, you know, we're going to raise the bar, right? Because we want people to rise up to the occasion. He said, we're going to do the opposite. And we are going to lower the bar so low that there's, it's not possible for you to get under it. And he said, this is where we're going to start with that bar. I want you to start by knowing and retaining your neighbor's names. Because the starting point of loving somebody is knowing their name. Because from knowing their name, you can actually get to know them. And when you actually get to know them, you can actually serve them because you know what's going on in their life. And when you know what's going on in their life, you can also actually pray for them. And when you know their name, you can share the gospel with them. Because now instead of walking up to your neighbor and saying, hey, weird dude, or hey, messy yard man, you can say, hey, John, I want to tell you about Jesus. Right? And it's not nearly as awkward because, to be honest, if you don't know their name, you're probably not going to do it. And it's a real challenge for all of us. It challenged me. This is something God's been challenging me a lot in, right? to be used in my own context and to not get so caught up serving the Lord here at church that I miss the opportunity to serve my neighbors, right, where God has placed me. Because I would say for a number of years, that was a real problem in my life. This is one of my convictions, right, that when we, Maddie and I realized this, when we moved from our old street to our new street, we would have failed on the eight. We probably would have had three or four. And I said, that's not happening again when we move to this to this new place. And it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful experience. We're very new at this, but just stepping into that and stepping into trying to get to know our neighbors' names, trying to know them and care for them, love them, be able to pray for them. It's been, a, it's been an incredible journey. Our last section that we've got for us is called um, I Have a Dream. And I'm not trying to um, give you an I Have a Dream speech, um, but I do think it's important for us as Christians to have dreams. Dreams for what God would do in our towns and in our communities, in our nation and world um, through us. And so I put down some of my kindergarten dreams, not my graduate level dreams. Um, but these are dreams that I do, do have for us as a church. One of my dreams for us as a church is that right here on this stage, that we would have people going over to our cool hot tub and um, standing with their friends and these people getting baptized because their friend was faithful to share the good news of Christ with them. And then to be able to stand beside them in baptism is an amazing thing. So I have a dream of that. I also have a dream that our youth group would grow like crazy, not because a whole lot of churches think, wow, you guys have the best youth group. We're going to send everyone there. But that instead that our youth are going out and sharing the gospel, that they would be like that, even if it's like that, that scared um, university freshmen um, that God used to save JT, that they would go out in faithful obedience and share the good news of Christ and the youth group would grow. I have a desire to see our small groups just exploding because people are experiencing true Christian community, 
right? To experience what it's like to go and find, to be prayed for and supported, and to come back and be encouraged in the word of God, and then go and do it again. And I have a dream that subdivisions and farmlands and cottages and little pockets all over our city and all over Muskoka would be changed because God has placed you there. Church, you are the program. You're the church. Evangelism plan A at this church is you being obedient to Christ where you are. Right? It's being a godly neighbor and sharing the gospel. Right? And these are the things, the things that I've expressed here today, these are the things that God has been calling me to do better at. He's saying, Mark, you need, you need more of this. You've fallen off in this. You've missed this a little bit. We've got to get you back on course. So what I'm calling you today to is, to, will you join me? Will you join me in striving to be obedient to Christ in seeking to live in the way that God has called us to live? Right? I don't want to be like the disciples, only hanging out with each other, as so many churches do, right, if we're honest. If you look at how often, where you spend your time, and how often it's just with Christians in the church, right, when it's on your own time, not when you're forced to do it at work. I don't want to be like disciples, only hanging out with ourselves in fear, in unbelief. I want to strive together to be the church the way that God has called us, the way God has commanded us to be the church. And it starts with us individually obeying God together. You are the program. You are the church. Let's be the church together. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that you would help us in this. I pray that you would help us to grow, Lord, to grow in the likeness of you. I pray that you would help us to um, do the things that you've called us to do, that we would be the church, that we wouldn't always hope for come and find, come and see, but we would go and find, that you would send us out, that you would give us eyes to see and willing hearts. God, give us the strength. God, give us the energy, Lord, to do this well. God, if we need to rearrange our schedules or rearrange our lives, God, that we would do whatever it takes, that we wouldn't be too busy to follow you the way that you've called us to. God, help me, Lord, to be a good example. I know that in so many things I've failed in this, but Lord, I want... I want to do better. I want to be with you. God, help us to be the church you've called us to be. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.